so the beauty of when you and I get to do a podcast, we get to make the <laughs> rules. So this week's show is on G- Gen Z, but it's a rabbit hole. We'll call this one a rabbit hole podcast because we're doing another show, and, and we ended up down this rabbit hole, which was so much fun. So this podcast this week, it's a rabbit hole podcast. Well, do we have to change our name? Uh, we've solved nothing down the rabbit hole or something along that line. We can't pay attention, <laughs> something like that. You know what? And yeah, it, it, we're in our like. Well, I'm sure we'll get to this about the the impact of Gen Z or Gen Z having attention issues. Look at us. We're God. We're, <laughs> we're way worse. We can't keep it. <laughs> we can't. So, so anyway, so we hope you enjoy this podcast. This is not where we started, but you're going to love where we ended. Uh, as this is our down the rabbit hole podcast this week on We've Solved Nothing. I did a presentation for uh, Hockey Canada's under-17 uh, camp uh, a couple weeks ago, and they asked me to talk about generational differences, and, and, in, and in particular, talk about Generation Z, Generation Z. Right. And what I found in my research uh, preparing for the presentation was that this generation actually is more akin and probably better aligned to uh, the generation that is the pre uh, post-war generation, so the greatest generation, so the kind of the one that that is seen as the most conservative, so and the before most the baby traditional. Boomers. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, and so they're they're suggesting they the 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 research that I read, anyways, or the the futurists that were kind of pontificating about the future. Yeah. Uh, they suggested that this generation actually is going to be a return to very traditional and conservative ways of thinking. So. I say that, and and maybe then something like marijuana becomes legally legalized by a leadership that is in the forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know, kind of that that age from a political perspective, anyway, seems to be pushing this agenda. Yep. Uh, maybe the generation after that is actually going to say, "No, we're we're actually not supportive of this." I, again, I'm I'm hypothesizing, um, and so maybe there'll be a blip where marijuana will have its time to be seen as a really marketable property but that might that that window may close very quickly well i i do feel that the topics that we're broaching the two vice topics we're broaching that this is the one that i'm really in the dark i'm, I'm really kind of <laughs> feeling around i'm, I'm just asking the questions because i really don't know we need a, a sound effect on on this podcast because whenever we go down a rabbit hole like something <laughs> should go on who did you present at, at the under seventeen? Who are you presenting to? Not the kid. No, not 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 the. Okay, not, so, not the explain to them who exactly. they are. Oh, this okay. is who you are. <laughs> yeah. No, it was to it was it was to the management and the leadership. So the athletic therapists, the sports psychologists, the coaches. So the, I would have said there were approximately a hundred people in the room. Wow. Now, how did it go in your eyes? Because I, I'll, I'll be perfectly upfront. This topic that you're bringing up mm. is the most talked about thing away from the are you trading this guy are you gonna (laughs) are you gonna make the playoffs but when you talk to people especially in the hockey world right now this is the thing that seems to consume most of their time is maybe more so than ever before is understanding who's coming next sure and i think i would suspect every industry is like that trying to get a trying to get an understanding about who the next wave of people are and how they are different and how we can best integrate and, and work with them I, I sometimes wonder if we overgeneralize and we uh, oversimplify what a cohort is like. I, I guess there are trends and there are some aspects of them that are are constant. But you know, I I I, I so what I'll, I'll talk about what I what I learned about the generation. But yeah. I say that with a a pretty heavy 
caveat that you know people are individuals, and so absolutely these things certainly aren't uh, foolproof. Um, so Generation Z is anybody born more or less after 1995. Uh, so you know, kind of the late teens, early twenties is kind of the people that we're talking about. So certainly the age of my students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I when I did the presentation, one of the things that I did was ask people to uh, give. Uh, their opinion on who they think, you know, what's what's their take on that generation? Right. And I, you know, I would say for the most part, but I think this is a, a very common. Uh, Can I answer kind that of process? Question? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You you tell me. How, I, how would you describe them? I would describe this generation as probably in in, in my limited time on this earth, the most impacted by the um, the parenting, and and by that hmm. I mean that. The decisions that parents are making now having such a, a big impact, and in the particular the group you were talking to, um, maybe more so than ever, they viewed investing in their future not necessarily a, hmm. a, a, a want, or but it's a need. We, we must give as best. We're now competitive. Hmm. We're playing a competitive sport, right. but we're now parenting in a competitive <laughs> manner. And as a result, no. that... I, I find, particularly with elites, that they have had a lot of training, help, assistance, um, mm-hmm. d- uh, defense even. Yeah. That, that, you know, sometimes when they get to the top, that they've never failed. And, they've, and if any failure has ever happened, it's always been excused away. So, yeah, okay, so, so a couple of different things. What a rabbit hole. Yeah, that, now that was, yeah, the, where's that? Where's we'll that? come back to vices, don't worry. Where's that sound effect? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. I, I think technology, so I think there's a couple of differences with this generation that have allowed that interaction with parents to be different mm. than those previous. And, I, and I'm going to guess that most of them relate to technology. Okay. Um, so the one aspect that I think is different is that children now have expertise more than their parents and I think this is the first time this has ever happened, but in, a, in an area that is absolutely important to all of us, which is technology. Um, so children now have expertise and authority over something, again, that is important and crucial for all of our well-being. That, that, before, that's never happened. No. Kids never knew more than their parents. No. Um, but now this is the one time in history where this has happened. Wow. And so I think that's changed the relationship between parent and child. The second part of it is is that ability to communicate between the parent and the child. And so it has accelerated significantly, I would say, particularly in the last five years, mm-hmm. um, where parents can have a real handle on what their children are doing and, and the children can connect and communicate back and forth quickly and easily, um, again, way more so than at any time prior. And as just, you know, and again, I, I don't want to wax poetic about my experience versus a person's experience by today and and you know you might be able to connect with this but when i went from high school to mcmaster from to do my undergraduate degree you know i drove up to the orientation on my own um my mom and dad knew i was going to hamilton and knew i was going to mcmaster Mm -hmm. like that's kind of where it ended yeah um whereas now academic institutions actually program for parents um we we expect to see them we We, we have specific responsibilities and programs that are designed to interact with the parents and to allow them to feel comfortable with their child coming to our institution. Another example, so 
I was also uh, helping out with the men's under-17 camp that Hockey Canada ran. Yep. So this is the, the group that will hopefully be playing in the Helenka Gretzky Cup next, next year. Next year, yeah. So anyways, and they asked me to uh, do some goal setting with all of the players. So for two afternoons, I met with all of the players in small groups, and they had, they had already gone through uh, sessions with uh, on-ice coaches, uh, mental, mental uh, sports psychologists, and uh, what else? Oh, I guess the exercise physiology side of things. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to kind of talk about how they wanted to plan uh, for the next year using the knowledge that they had gained. And the parents were invited to this as well. And many of them came, hmm. um, which I think to me is also unique as far as, I, I don't think that would have been common uh, no. two years, three years no, ago. No, no, no. And then the other aspect, which I think is interesting um, from a parent-child relationship, and this was one of the, the things that I gleaned from my research on Generation Z. Now, now, again, you have to keep in mind that most of the research is either Australian or American. There's very little that's Canadian, but I would guess that there's probably some carryover to the Canadian sure. context. Uh, the percentage of children that identify their parents as their best friends is significantly higher now than it's ever been. Um, and so, again, I don't, I don't even know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, you know, I've, I've often taken great pride in, you know, telling my kids when they hate me or they're angry. I'm like, good. And clearly I'm doing my job mm-hmm. as a father. Um, oh, my, my standby is you're going to be amazed at 21 how smart I all of a sudden became, <laughs> right? Because that was my dad's line. You think I'm the dumbest person in the whole world today. Wait till you're 21. You will be amazed by how smart I get. <laughs> that transformation. So, but the reality is, is children identify, they, they connect with their parents as friends. Um, they see them as see that. part of their yeah. social network. And I don't know. So, so then the corollary to that is, well, does that mean then, is, is, there, is, is that because they're not connecting with their own peer group um, as much as they used to? And so, again, you know, example being I, I'll come into a classroom now and all my students will be sitting there looking at their phones, um, waiting for me to start the lecture. Yeah. Whereas in the past, they would be talking to one another. Right. As opposed to just scanning the Instagrams of the world or, mm-hmm. or texting perhaps somebody that's sitting in the back of the room. Um, so, I, I, again, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing in the fact that they're identifying that their parents are their closest confidants or if it's just a... So, are you, just let me stop you yeah. there. Are you suggesting that for a second that the technology might be kind of flattening the friendships? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, okay. And so the... the, the so perhaps, again, I'm hypothesizing, yeah. um, the generation, the Gen, Gen Z, is not developing close interpersonal relationships on a deep, on a deep level that we may have mm-hmm. because they have the, uh, the interference of the technology. Yeah. Uh, whereas, again, they don't have the face-to-face conversations perhaps as much. That, that was another interesting um, sidebar is that this generation, though, apparently really craves that. And so when we're talking to coaches, they need to recognize that athletes will actually be yearning for face-to-face interactions. Yep. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's just a human biological desire. And so we went through this bubble where we were pushing and pushing away from that. And now, you know, human nature being what it is, they're, they're pushing back and saying, no, we actually really want that contact. I realize I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth no, but I, I'm. You know what? It's it's fascinating to me because again, you know, it doesn't matter the sport, but this question of and and look, my you know my dad. 
I can tell you stories about, you know, first time I ever played hockey was the first year they ever had face masks. And my dad thought that was going to ruin us, you know, <laughs> the whole yeah. nine yards. So we've yeah. always had these. But maybe this one, this group is so fascinating to me because something you just said, some of the best coaches recently always talk about the same thing, which is every day making a connection to a player. Yeah. And now you're telling me that the player, I always thought that was a, a a co- coaching I didn't look at it the both ways yeah. but both ways that there's an importance to that well I think oh and what's it's it's a parenting guru Ugh, Oprah no it's not Oprah <laughs> um, his name his name will come to me anyways he talks about collecting children and then connecting with them and how that is absolutely crucial and I I see parallels to teaching I see parallels to coaching in that mm. and I, I I try and teach that way actually I try to collect and connect with my students more than I try to impart knowledge on them. Yeah. Um, because the, the argument is, is that without that, you can't, there is no imparting of knowledge. There is no sharing of knowledge. Mm-hmm. They have to, they have to feel that desire to please and that desire to want right. uh, to be with you. And so I think, I think the implications for sport then are, are similar in that coaches now have to collect and connect with their athletes perhaps more so than they have in the past um, because they are yearning for that connection to, to people, even though they tend to revert back to the phones um, because I think it's the, it's the easiest. It's the, it's the simplest way uh, to entertain yourself. Was right there. Yeah. Right. And, and, and again, it gives you the choice of the information that you want to see. Yeah. So let me flip it around. What was the uptake, if you will, from coaches did, did do do you find that you had receptive listeners when you were talking to the coaching and the the older you know sometimes i find that our generation can be a little closed-minded you know you can give me really good information but yeah. damn it that's not how i grew up i'll show you yeah and you know? i again i that, that's right i think every generation thinks that theirs is the um you know the pinnacle and that right. everyone that follows 100 has no idea what the heck they're doing yeah you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So the, you know, the, the concept of multitasking. And so, you know, this generation is perceived as having a tremendous ability to do that. Other generations say that that's a complete misnomer. You cannot multitask. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are doing multiple things at one time, they will all suffer uh, sure. equitably in some form or another. And none of them will be done as well if you only focus singularly on that. There are some that are suggesting, however, that this generation in part because of their, they were born with technology. So they weren't, they didn't, they didn't come to technology um, as a, as a, you know, as a, as a person would come from a different country to Canada. They've been born with it. Um, So the argument is, is that there actually could be biological change, some neurological change in that this generation actually has an ability to multitask that older generations just can't hmm. because of the neurological changes and that we are evolving in a way um, that is adapting to the technology that's being presented to you us. You know, I would counter to that in, in this regard. I, I've always been fascinated by musicians. You know, a guitar player who can play and then sing at the same time, or a drummer, Don Henley with the Eagles. Okay. He's drumming, he's keeping the beat. Phil Collins, yeah. Oh, right, but yeah. they're singing. Yeah. That to me is always, because I've heard that, well, you know, multitasking is, you can't do, I've always thought, well, explain that to yeah. me. Okay, and, good I, example. and I'm wondering yeah. if, 
in a way, if this isn't activating the brain, hmm. what you're talking about, techno- if technology doesn't activate the brain in that same way. Perhaps. And yeah, um, I've, I've never thought of the example from, from music that you just presented. Um, but I think you're right. There, and again, there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be exemplars. Oh, absolutely. In anything that we talk about. Right. But I think, you know, I think that was one example where I, th- I found the audience maybe being receptive to, yeah, maybe it's, you know, maybe they are different. Right. Um, maybe things have changed so fundamentally that they're able to do things differently as a group, as yeah. a collective. Yeah. Um, listen, there's even being arguments made that it's an evolutionary uh, growth for people that have attention deficit or even autism um, in the in the way that the brain is able to think, quote unquote, outside the box mm-hmm. and differently than the norm. And that that is an, an evolutionary benefit right. uh, to the survival of the species. And so, again, I, I think recognizing how people are changing in cohorts helps us perhaps understand. But I, I come back to that comment I made earlier. We still need to, I think, look at the individual um, and try to understand them on that level. It, it, this is all in the context of sport because yeah. you were doing this for Hockey yeah. Canada. Um, I thought we were talking about marijuana. <laughs> I have a way out for this. Just leave it with me. I know what I'm doing. This this is a different topic and one that I... Because I, I keep coming back to the coaching. I keep coming back to the... Um, you know, just sport. So this was in the context of the under 17. This would be yeah. the elite hockey players of that yeah. age group. Yeah. What, a, what in that work that you did, take a look at grassroots and just recreational play. Mm. How would that impact that? Is sport maybe now, based on what you were just saying, you know, is, is there openings or is there place in sport? If, if kids are now seeing their parents maybe more as equals, is there an opportunity there for family participation in sport that maybe didn't exist before? Oh, yeah, very much so. And I, yeah, I wonder if you start to see the decline in the traditional uh, experiences where parents are pushed to the side and coaches say, I don't talk to parents. I don't interact with parents. Right. Um, I only talk to the players. And you still hear about that. I, you know, I, I don't want to... Uh, you know, speak badly about minor hockey, but I've heard. No, just, I absolutely. You know, I, I don't you know. You, that's why we have managers. I don't talk to parents. Managers yeah. talk to parents. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a mistake. I think that's from uh, an era that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And so I think that will have to be one change. Maybe we'll start to see the increase in experiences and opportunities where parents and children can play together. Um, yeah. So you know, the advent of recreational hockey leagues where it's dad and son or daughter or mm-hmm. mom and son or, or whatever. Uh, you know, the, the pickleballs of the world that allow um, multi-generational groups to participate and play together. Maybe, maybe golf has a renaissance um, because it encourages and allows for multi-generational and children to play with their parents. But you ski with your family, don't you? Yeah. Yeah so, you know? yeah, so skiing might be another one of those sports that uh, continues to allow that interaction. I wonder if there's an opportunity for some of the uh, sports that we've – or games, I guess, more than sports, but things like bowling and billiards yeah. that, you know, would allow for that kind of interaction, mm-hmm. which was never – it's never ever been marketed that way. Nobody's ever marketed to that, right? No, because nobody ever thought that that was actually something that people would – would want. Would want. Yeah. <laughs> but, but here we are with at least a question to be answered, yeah. right? 
And and the other part of it, and I go back to, is you know if they're craving for that interaction, the importance of sport has maybe never been greater than it is now for developing you know youth in the sense of if we are tech hooked to technology like yeah. we are you know just getting out and participating not even being elite but just getting out and participating oh. has probably never been more important than it yeah is. yeah i you, you won't get any pushback from me i i see physical activity recreation sport physical mm-hmm. education as being more important today than it's ever been mm-hmm. uh, for exactly the same reasons you've already articulated um we have we have too many reasons to not be physically active right um but yet our our mental health our physical health like there are just so many uh interrelationships that are good Mm -hmm. um that focus on physical activity that i i completely agree it's it just baffles me uh and perplexed i'm I'm perplexed that it hasn't um been perhaps universally understood or maybe it is it's just a uh, maybe there are barriers that I just have not figured out yet um, that are stopping people from being more active. This whole conversation comes up because you were invited by Hockey Canada to be part of this camp. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you as someone who's not, I, I, you know, would you push back to this characterization? You're not a traditional hockey person um, that would have been at this camp. You would have been a little bit, come at it from a little bit of a different perspective and, and what you saw in a camp like that. Cause I have some very strong opinions on under 17. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So first of all, I'm not, I'm certainly not a, I was not a hockey player. Um, I've never coached. Yeah. So I, my children have all played very, very introductory levels of hockey. Sure. Um, so that's probably really my only, Involvement. I've certainly had lots of students that work at hockey. I, I'm a hockey fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say I was. But you're not out- institutionalized. No, no, no. So I would yeah. say I, I would say I'm, I was an outsider um, in both those instances. Um, and kudos to Hockey Canada for you know encouraging that. Right. Agreed. And, Agreed. Um, Absolutely. And for you know having the willingness to look outside of. I'd like the... to think they've been listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, one can hope. One can hope. <laughs> you never know. Um, you know. Elite high performance sports a funny thing, um, and actually one of the one of the uh, attendees from the women's camp asked me this question when I was talking about Generation Z. And she said, "You know, I, you know, we have I forget how many athletes, a hundred athletes there, yep. and the, they're different. Uh, the fact that they're here shows that they're you know on the normal curve theory in that top two percent. Yep. So maybe they're not typical Gen Zs, and maybe they're not." demonstrating all these characteristics that you're talking about. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, that's, that's a fair comment. This is certainly a unique group of individuals. Um, so I, you know, okay. So, so they're, they're different. There's no question about it. Um, now in your question, I'm, I'm trying to read on your facial expression, which we can't see, um, but you're in your intonation that you have some Concerns about I do high performance elite youth I, camps. I do, um, and w- the reason I'm asking the question is because okay. you can come into this yeah. and you can take a look around. Where I, I I look at the under 17 program and I look at the pressure that's put on these young men and women. Um, when do they get a break? When do they hmm. get off? When do they, you know, the different boys? I uh, you know one general manager told me. Uh, a couple years ago that when he drafted a young goalie um, he brought him to camp and and his goalie coach with the main club started working with him that's the fifth goalie coach that that young man was working with it's a lot of voices that's a lot of people telling you and and I, I I've often said and it's so simplistic David but 
you know, as, as you're talking, I'm wondering, if you're going to do a camp like this, why don't you just bring them in and go build houses for Habitat for Humanity? Get out there as a group, get to know each other, be away from the rink, get to learn about them. I'm not sure putting them on the ice, testing them, pushing them, coaching them, I, I think it, it probably on some level has a value, but I can't help but wondering. Uh, I see the need for collecting them. I see the need for tracking them. I see the need for all of that. And I don't think this is a hockey issue. I think soccer is going through yeah, the same yeah. thing. I think all sports are. We keep going younger and younger and younger. And, and my only qu- and that's why I'm, I'm fascinated by you. Because I went a couple years ago, and I spoke. I was part of a panel that spoke about the media. And, and they're all lovely people. They're all good kids, and everybody's heart's in the right place. But I think we have this model in sport now that keeps saying more and more practice, more and more repetition, more and more. And I wonder if, you know, what you saw there. Well, first of all, I would say how impressed I was with all of the young men. And I didn't, I didn't get a chance to meet the, the women athletes. So they all seemed just like tremendous young people. Um, so in that respect, maybe there, maybe there's nothing wrong with what's going on because I, they certainly seemed like examples that I would want my own. Oh, I would suggest sons. this is nitpicking. Yeah. I would suggest what I'm talking about is nitpicking. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's that. Number two, you know, you're probably right. And, you know, so I, and I was asking a couple of them. So they were going from this camp, uh, here in Calgary and they would, re- they would go home for, I think two weeks and then they would be starting up with their junior teams. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was the, that was, that's how old they are. They were 16 going to their junior clubs, moving away from home in most yeah. respects, yeah. going to different coaches, different, yep. you know, teams with different strategies and different priorities, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, um, it, it probably is to, to some overwhelming, like there, you could, you might be able to make the argument that it's detrimental, um, even perhaps from a performance perspective in the, in the over focus on one sport right so perhaps there's an increase in injuries perhaps right. there's a decrease in just general physical literacy which then doesn't allow them to be better mm-hmm. performers um perhaps there's burnout that occurs that's never been tracked um perhaps there's mental health issues that just haven't been you know fully understood or detailed um and, and particularly with this age group you know going back to my gen z presentation mental health issues are probably more or not probably are more significant with this group than at any other time really yeah now is that because we're doing a better job of admitting and diagnosing or? yeah so that's hard that's that's hard to say okay uh it's probably a combination of things um, right. the increase in loneliness uh the decrease in connect in connections to the community and your neighbors, et cetera, um, and probably also a better job of diagnoses and just recognizing it and, and, and a, a decreasing stigma related to it, although mm-hmm. I, it's far from perfect. Um, so, so anyways, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the pressure that we put on young people for camps like this are detrimental to their long-term mental health. But, I, you know, again, I don't, I, I don't know that literature that well, but I, I, can't, I can't speak to any examples that I've read that have said that that's the case. So again, it's just conjecture. It's, yep. um, and you know, there's probably as somebody else could probably wax poetic about the benefits positive of, you know, these young men competing with one another and being surrounded by, you know, adults that care about them and are attentive and are interested in, you know, the, the pride that they have in wearing the, oh, you know, the maple leaf and all these absolutely. things. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, if it was one of my sons, yeah. uh, I'd be thrilled. 
Um, and I would have been, I, you know, based on my limited interaction, I would have been very happy. But if it was one of your sons who was in an elite program and they brought them to Calgary and they did something different, if they did something that would still instill the same kind, I mean, in an athlete, you're looking for leadership. You're yep. looking for teamwork. Yep. You can do that beyond the ice. And, and that's, again, not a criticism as much as, you know, it, it used to be, the under world junior program then it became the under 18 now it's the under 17s you know um it's i just often look at it and i wonder you know could it be done a little differently should it be done a little differently and i wanted to ask you because you wouldn't come into this with the preconceived notions and and things i mean it's it's early again we're really skirting early specialization is what we're skirting yeah 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 um now as a 16 year old I would still argue that a multi-sport perspective is is still valuable um, and is still the way to go. It's tough, though, right? I mean, you get all these pressures. You have all this. Well, we, we talked about the competitive parenting. Yeah. Um, and so the pressures on parents to make the right decisions. And goodness knows, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing um, as a father of my three sons. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I think most parents are like that. You're guessing. You're sure. you're you're doing what you think is the best, and it's it's tough to to know when to pull back or, like, can you imagine the the angst and the guilt that a parent would feel if they said, "No, we're not going to send our kid to this under seventeen camp. We're gonna we're gonna make him play baseball this summer." Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge risk, uh, and I don't know if I don't know if I would have the is uh, it? the guts to it, do that. Is it? Well. <sighs> The, the 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 common sense would be, or the common conversation would be, that absolutely, how could you deny? Yeah. So right. So imagine you're. So you you say, no, my son's going to play uh, little league baseball this summer instead of going to this camp. Yep. We're from Steinbach, Manitoba, and right. we got a really good baseball team, and yep. we want our kid to stay at home yep. and be with his friends and play right. baseball. So he doesn't go to the camp. He doesn't make the Helenka Gretzky uh, team for next year. Right. Now, if. Does said, one connect to the other, though, in your eyes? I, I don't know. Um, but and I, but if it if he doesn't, do you always question and say, ah, had he been at that camp, he would have been on this team. If he had been on that team, he would have got this opportunity. If he had been on that opportunity, he would have. And as a parent, I think you would beat yourself up. I think you're You know what I think you're doing? I think you're articulating absolutely. I, I, I am not based in realism. You are based. <laughs> no, you're based in reality because I think most parents would. I... You know, I, I look at the messaging. We saw Bobby Orr a couple of months ago or yeah. w- weeks ago put out a, you know, just a little social media saying, hey, you know, Wayne Gretzky was asked about yeah. that. Uh, you know, we've been talking about early specialization for a long time. Yeah. And elite sports, and I'm not pegging hockey because it's not hockey. It's all of them. Agreed. Elite sports right now is doing, whether they know it or not, whether they know it or not, have created the keeping up with the Joneses model. Agreed. And and, and, and I think it would be hard for a parent yeah. to be on the outside and cross their arms and fold their arms and go, no, 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 not on my watch. I'm going to do it this way. And I think, you know, you, it comes back to some of the stuff we talked about right at the outset. This this advent of technology and Facebook and, yeah. you know, knowing what other how other parents parent mm-hmm. and knowing the decisions that they're making mm-hmm. has an impact on our decision-making as parents and because – before, our parents knew what their collective circle in whatever town that they lived in right. did. Right. And that's all they knew. Yeah. Um, I, like growing up in the south of St. Catharines, I didn't know anybody that played elite sport. 
or high performance or went to these select camps. And mm-hmm. if they did, they were mythologized. I mean, like, like it was like, oh. We, there he goes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He wears the Letterman jacket at school and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so, so we just, so my parents did, had, they didn't have any idea. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that sounds derogatory, but it's not meant to be. But they just, you know, we just kind of went along. Right. Whereas now, again, I, I would think the pressure on a parent who has a son or a daughter who's potentially really good, mm-hmm. um, I think the pressure on them to not screw it up right. uh, is more significant now than it's ever been. So what hap- how many are we losing from our pool from the parent who's paying attention <laughs> to what's going on, who can see four or five years down the road going, I, I love my kid. Can't make a thirty or forty thousand dollar investment a year. I yeah. Can't. So maybe now's the time to wean them off. And you know, I we talk about it in hockey all the time. I refer to it as the Ian Herbers rule. You know, and, and I talk to scouts at the draft in Dallas, and they swear up and down. They, you know, I wish I could bring everybody in hockey together and just say, look, here are the scouts, and they'll tell you if you're good, we'll find you. Right. Doesn't matter where you are, yeah. we'll find you. And Ian Herbers, I believe, played junior B hockey, and they, the U of A Golden Bears found him, and <laughs> Billy Moores tur- turned him into an NHL player, no. right? It'll happen. But I don't think anybody believes that, and no. I don't think anybody wants to risk that. And again, and, and as a parent of a son or a daughter who's a really great hockey player, and if, what if those parents aren't really good hockey players? They don't, they don't know the machine. They just know what they're told. Um, Absolutely. And so, yeah, so... And if the system is not now, the Bobby Orr's and the Ken Dryden's and these other and the Gretzky's of the world are saying all the right things, and from my opinion, mm-hmm. um, so maybe those voices at some point will be heard and people will buy into that. Um, but I don't think it's there yet. Now, you know what I hear? I hear people who I I trust and believe. I hear people in the hockey world that they'll stand arm in arm with you and go they're right you know absolutely so oh i can't no no we have to like we have no choice he'll fall behind and and that or she'll fall behind and you know it goes back to this particular generation and this conversation that is also kind of an external force on this generation Mm -hmm. that has not existed before Mm -hmm. and and me as an outsider i worry that that is i worry less about the elite athlete I worry more about the the non-competitive or just the recreational yeah, athlete yeah. because where does that sport exist? Well, yeah, and and that I think is a reflection of this massive increase in the industry um, of, in, sport? Of, of high performance sport yeah. and these non-scholastic, non-school associated organizations that purport themselves to be high performance or elite training facilities or centers and. Um, and, and and some of them are very good. Yep. Um, but many are 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 simply putting a name on themselves, um, mm-hmm. and and referring themselves as, you know, the the magical elixir, the panacea that's going to get your son or daughter to. You mean we'll add academy to the end? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Whatever our title is, we'll add academy. That's right. And you know that the, the school systems used to take care of that. You used to play basketball for your high school basketball team, mm-hmm. and that was the end all and be all. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's all these club traveling club based teams. Well, and, basketball in Ontario. I'm not sure how closely yeah. you've been paying attention to that. That is a whole subculture into yeah. itself, yeah. isn't it? You can't get teachers to coach teams anymore because they don't yeah. even. It's second or third tier. So. Yeah. It's different. It's a different system now, and that has impact. It has implications. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we brought it up. I, we've <laughs> once again lived up to the podcast name. David, we've solved nothing. 